and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Bart Kelly and I'm graced by the presence of Ushin Collins. Yes, I've decided to drop in this week, see how you're doing, get back to normal service. Uh, good to be here. <laughs> good to have you here. Again, the Second Row Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, all good podcasting apps. So please rate, like, subscribe, tell a friend, get someone to listen to it this week. These are all the things that help us grow as a podcast. This week it's Pro 14 knockout time and we had two big quarterfinals or semi-final qualifiers, whatever they're called. But first, as always, we take a look at the news from the rugby world this week. And there's some Pro 14 news about qualifying for Europe next week that probably we hadn't figured out by the time last week's podcast happened. Yeah, it's really mad. If Leinster win the Champions Cup and all four semi-finalists of the Challenge Cup qualify for the Champions Cup through their own leagues... okay. The Pro 14 get an extra spot in the Champions Cup. Clear as mud. So, assuming that they all do, that's La Rochelle, Claremont, Sale and Northampton. What happens to our European Champions Cup playoff within the Pro 14? Well, Ospreys qualify automatically in that scenario. And then that playoff is hosted by Cardiff, but they'll be facing Scarlets instead. Even though Cardiff finished in fifth place, they accumulated more points over the season. So, they get home advantage. That's it. Nice one. That'll be good for the Blues. They probably deserve a crack at it. They do. And as a Connacht fan, I'd like to tell both those teams, you get used to Leinster doing your favours. <laughs> nice. In the other big news that's been rumbling around the rugby world for the last couple of weeks, Israel Falau hearing is taking place at the moment. It's into about three days of hearings. And he's reportedly turned down a payoff of a million dollars to go away and not come back, which is a quarter of the value of his contract. It's amazing that someone who said they'd walk away from rugby if this happened again is turning down a million dollars. But look, this is going to go on during the week. I have a feeling something will happen and people will walk away with money in pockets. Probably not wrong. Speaking of walking away, Sean Edwards is apparently now not continuing in his role with the Welsh Rugby Union. This came out during the week that it looks like he's going to depart after the Rugby World Cup, not be part of Wayne Pivak's backroom team. But still no real clarity on where he's going. Possible links to the French Rugby Union, to some English clubs, back to Rugby League even. Uh, Watch this space, I guess. And staying in Wales, Gavin Henson is one of many Dragons players that's being released. He's had such a phenomenally long career. I wonder if he's going to keep on playing. Back from the original Ospreys Galacticos days. (laughs) That's it. He's definitely never quite reached the heights that he expected, but some teams who did reach the heights expected of them this year are our Pro 14 quarter finalists. And we start off on Saturday afternoon with Munster playing host to Benetton Rugby. Munster squeaking out the narrowest of 15-13 wins to qualify for the semi-finals. By squeaking out, you mean complete daylight robbery? That's the one. Yeah, just, just, so we, just to be clear. <laughs> just to be clear from the off, Benetton deserved to win this. Munster did enough to win it. They did, and they really showed their knockout pedigree in a way that you would expect from a team like Munster who've been in domestic and European finals, semi-finals, quarter-finals for the last every season, basically. Having said that, they had a relatively tough start to this game. Benetton didn't want the ball, giving it back to Munster and letting them run at them. But nearly 25 minutes before Munster were able to get on the scoreboard, not that they didn't have opportunities before that, they just seemed to fluff their lines at the last minute. That doesn't do justice to Benetton's defence. They were turning over the ball on the five metre line. They were dogged. They trusted themselves in defence. And I think they trusted Munster's lack of creativity as well. And they benefited from that. Munster continuing with their pattern of one-up running 
and just not really giving a whole lot of space. There were some moments, so Darren Sweetenham had a pretty good game, looked to find some space out wide, but didn't always make the right decision. And decision-making was a real issue for Munster in this game, particularly in the first half. Tyler Blayendahl at 10 had a nightmare of a game for me, kicked the ball away really poorly in really good positions. And in all fairness, he wasn't getting a lot of help from Connor Murray. He didn't have one of his better games. At one point, he took his eye off the ball at a mall and Benton were able to come through legally and turn over possession. It was great defence, but questions over Murray's concentration levels. Needs to be focused on the right things. And I think part of that was, for me, particularly in the first hour of this game, Benetton were winning the contest on an emotional level. They were the ones shutting down Munster attacks in a way that felt like they were scoring points. And talk about the kind of hallmark of this year's Benetton side. That try just before half time. Unbelievable back three work, quick line out. Hayward, Tavayaro, Monte Ioanni were all so switched on in this game. And Tommaso Allen spots the space pulled back into the second line of attack where Hayward is waiting to bring the ball forward. And Taviaro with a perfect winger's finish in the air, ball in the outside hand. That's a killer blow to score just before halftime. Benton came out in the second half playing into the wind, played a lot more ball in hand. And they made yards when they did that. And it suited them. Munster did seem to be on the back foot quite a lot. Well, Benetton nearly got a try within a couple of minutes of the second half. Oh, Stain. Bram Stain oh, just Stain. could not hold that last pass. Oh, like It wasn't <laughs> the nicest pass in the world, but he should do better. Well, immediately after that, Munster's coaching team decided to intervene. JJ Hanrahan coming on for Tyler Blayendahl and Ty Byrne getting hauled off for Billy Holland as well. Really looking to try and settle and play a better style of rugby because we were getting very little from that first half. I've said this on this podcast for weeks now. Carberry's injured, Munster need to play JJ at 10. If you're basing a game plan around Carberry, JJ's the more like-for-like. Like. And it didn't help that Blendell's kick, kicking game wasn't working anyway. Well, by contrast to Tommaso Allen, who, apart from his long kicks and his goal kicking, his short kicking game over Munster's line was targeting that space. We seemed to be defending the backfield very deep, and the ball was hitting grass nine times out of ten when he chipped in behind. Really disruptive stuff. But those type of kicks were keeping you honest. Munster couldn't rush up in the fence as hard because there was always that doubt, would there be a chip coming? And it gave Benetton that space to do what they do best in the second half. I think the problem for Benetton is they just weren't able to sustain it. And Munster just kept chipping away, kept the scoreboard ticking over and managed to get a massive penalty to win the game, which they were very lucky to win. It didn't look like a legitimate turnover for me. CJ Stander didn't look to be supporting his own body weight. That would have given Munster a good penalty 10 metres into their own half. Duvenage kicking the ball away. Criminal stuff. Really is. At that point of the game, it's like the Philip Schoman incident in the Heineken Cup quarter final, just dropping an unnecessary shoulder into tight burn. You have to be smarter than that. You have to be switched on because that's not a kickable opportunity. And to be honest, as good as Munster's lineout was for most of this game, Benetton were stealing. Benetton were able to compete. In front of Peter O'Mahony. A really steal. unusual. Let's, let's, that, that's a moment for the history books. Well, the highlight reel at least. <laughs> let's not go crazy. But I wouldn't have been backing Munster to get another shot at goal had they not 
had that ball moved 10 metres closer and with the wind behind him JJ just knocked it over and really we, good kick to be fair it was a good kick and we were watching the final three minutes I think we counted like 50 different penalties from both teams at every rook oh like Nigel switched off on 75 there was no way he was deciding this game on another penalty after, yeah after previously deciding the game yeah uh, actually a moment to take issue here the Benetton players through this game were really pumped and not in the Maru Atoje clapping in the opposition face kind of a way just cheering themselves on type of way yeah you could tell there was a lot of emotional intensity and Nigel decided to go like full kindergarten teacher on Halafihi and like just shut up Nigel just let them enjoy the game like even the air commentary team who were woeful thought this was bad <laughs> yeah you've, you've crossed the line here bud <laughs> but when it came down to it, Benetton were still in with a chance to win this game. And I think just a pre-planned substitution, the two halfbacks for Benetton coming off, Tibaldi and Rizzi coming on, really weakened them at that critical time. Three or four minutes left, given the fact that the game ran into injury time. First drop goal attempt from Rizzi. Completely snatched, just terrible. Shocking kick. And then Hayward took one on from 40 metres out, just didn't quite have the direction or the distance. Both of those attempts were rushed. Benetton were making yards. They were controlling possession. The first one was rushed. The second one, I have no sympathy for. They could have taken up a few more phases, gone up another 5, 10 metres, because they were making those yards. They'd already worked it from 10 metres in their own half, nearly up to the 22. Yeah, like it was a pointless, pointless attempt in that scenario. They could have made it a lot easier for themselves. But that's something they'll take forward. This is the first time Benetton have reached the Pro 14 playoffs. This is a big step up for them and against Munster they need to be smarter and they will learn from it they will and I think we can expect to see them in and around these playoff positions for the next several seasons they've just hugely transformed this year into a side that are controlled disciplined and smart and they just fell a little bit short of that hurdle today but on balance quarterfinal result for Benetton this year is hugely hugely positive and contrast that to Munster, who are now going into the semi-finals, but with absolutely zero form against a Leinster team who are competing in all competitions at the highest level. That's a tough ask. It really is. And if Munster want to do well in that semi-final, they need to improve their last pass, their decision-making, and they were forcing it on a lot of occasions. And I think what you need to see is a decision being taken. Either they play the Carberry game plan with JJ or Joey Carberry if he's fit, or they play a different game plan because they're capable of running good possession rugby. They're capable of using the maul as a weapon and of seriously good maul defence, but they can't play that fast distribution game with Tyler at 10. He's not capable of doing it. No, he's a great 22. He covers your 10 and 12 really well, but for me... For where Munster seemed to be wanting to go, he's not the right man. No. Speaking of 10s, in our other quarterfinal, we had a real battle. Ulster hosting Connacht and coming out 21-13 victors. Billy Burns and Jack Carty, two of the brightest names in this game. For a game that didn't shine being there, or for quality, those two guys really did stand out. Some great first phase plays where they just showed how good their passing and distribution was. But ultimately, I was heartbroken up there. I can't take anything away from Ulster. They deserve that win. They did, and from minute one, they came out with huge intensity. I think four minutes of possession just battering into the Connacht line. And they really looked like they were up for this in a massive way, whereas Connacht almost seemed a little bit shell-shocked by the intensity of that start. When they did get ball in hand, they managed to, you know, 
put a couple of passes together, but seems to be missing that type of physical dominance and that control over their own ball. It's been an issue all season. Our breakdown work has been unreliable, to say the least. So, shocking. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the likes of Kutsey and Henderson just had a field day over our ball. We needed an enforcer, a Quinru, a Sean O'Brien, and we didn't have that. I think Butler and Fenga are too similar a player to play together in the back row there's a challenge there Fayinga is on great form at the moment I would argue that the likes of Paul Boyle probably could have made for a more balanced back row there you just have to decide who you drop because McKeown is a good player and he's a fairly prototypical six but then you now have two sevens in Jared Butler and Kobe Fayinga you are missing that big physical enforcer as you said Paul Boyle probably the next best fit for that especially given that our other two were injured. Yeah, that. But look, it wasn't just in the tight exchanges that Ulster's pack were dominant. For their first try, there was a couple of wicked offloads from Kutsia and Treadwell to put Timoney over in the corner, still with a player to beat. Ulster found too much space on the outside edge. It was actually really disappointing to see. And it's where Munster caught us out the week before. No lesson had been learned. Definitely not. I think you also struggled to break down an extremely resolute Ulster defence, led by Rory Best, who had a rolling back the years performance. He really did. What annoyed me watching us is we were great on first phase ball. We were great on turnover ball. But the second you go to phase four, five, six, seven, we're like, all right, where's this score going to come from? Where's the next line break going to come from? And you just never knew where that spark was going to come from. You must have caught Munster's lack of creativity off us in Thoman last week. But our backline play in general didn't look slick. Like every pass seems to just stay in a hand for that second too long. And if you're three or four passes in, that four seconds that builds up just gives the Ulster defence so much time to just shut us down. Well, look at the contrasting experiences of the two nines as well. Marmion was in having to fight for the ball, having to shoe players off it, having to call extra ruck support in. Whereas John Cooney, if he got there, the ball was available on a plate. And it's hard to generate go-forward backline movement when you're not even sure if the ball is going to come out this time. Well, that's fair. I think one of the biggest talking points of that first half, though, was Bundiaki's not yellow card. It is a card for me, and the only question is the colour of it. Clearly goes in, no arms tackle, makes contact, like sparks Billy Burns into the chin. I not really sure how the refereeing team managed to talk this down to a penalty. There, live, I was like, that's a yellow. I think Billy Burns is slipping, and I think that's the mitigating factor from a red because if Billy Burns isn't slipping he wraps around the chest and it's a no arm tackle it's one of those he hits him in the head because he's slipping so it's a yellow card not anything else they definitely managed to talk themselves into a bit of a knot and Bundy very lucky to stay on the pitch but it was Ulster's turn to be a bit sloppy at the start of the second half they just gave away a wave of penalties to let Connacht claw their way back into the game it's a shame that Jack Carty's boot wasn't up to scratch like he missed two penalties in this game that's six points And given the fact that we were a point behind up until the last two minutes, that game finishes very differently. Carty did need to be more accurate, but he was still having a massive influence on the game with the first of two intercepts to really relieve pressure off Connacht's line. But then Kobe Foyinga gets the second one, makes an enormous break up the pitch and finds Bundy for the offload. Who uh, graciously took a try and didn't acknowledge many people or... Make a big show or dance of it or anything. Oh yeah, definitely. He certainly wasn't <laughs> completely trying to wind up the crowd who were all over him after that incident I in the first I have to half. say, the atmosphere there was incredible. It's like, a great ground. I've been up to Kingspan before. I, I love it there. Uh, the fans were on fire, but it was good natured on fire as well. Like It wasn't overly negative. Like I, The people around me in the stands were just having a good 
good vibe. Mm. One player who had a mixed vibe was Luke Marshall. Really good going forward. Did a lot of kind of kicking to relieve the pressure and take some pressure off Billy Burns. But the thing I noticed watching it is his tackling technique is so bad. Like He got himself done out for a HIA in the first half by getting his head the wrong side. He somehow transpired to get himself kicked in the face in the second half. He genuinely he has no respect for a man who has spent that much time out of the game with concussion. You he, would think he'd be a little smarter about where he puts his brain. He does need to improve that <laughs> immensely going forward because that is just dangerous. Yeah. Speaking of dangerous, some of the rucking in this game was pretty sketchy. I was watching the number of ruck entries that came in from, let's call it greater than a 45 degree angle. (laughs) Some of them were just plain in the side, but a lot of stuff was coming in at funny angles, players getting shunted out. And that seemed to be a little bit of a Wild West, not quite a French referee's badness. But yeah, like I think when you see a clear out and someone's, the person clearing out is in line with the ball carrier, not across them mm-hmm. you know something's gone wrong in that clear out and that happened far too often on both teams this is like across the board yeah and look it was a bit of a sloppy finish to this game Ulster are a point clear not really looking like they're going to score but then they do get a penalty drive down to the Connacht line and off a five meter line out they then put 24 phases of possession together finishing with Kutsia going over here's the problem <laughs> on phase one which was the line out they knocked the ball on now, refereeing teams say it's regathered, which is correct. The problem is it's bounced off Tom O'Toole's back. He's in front of the ball carrier. That's a turnover. That should have been Connacht ball. Do I think Connacht would then have gone the length of the pitch in the remaining three or four minutes and scored? No. No, I do not. No, I agree. However, <laughs> it is significant. Yeah, it's, and that's simple stuff that, given the position of the refereeing team, should have been picked up. But go to phase 24. What is Shane Delahunt biting in on the scrum half for? Given that huge gap for Kutsia to run into, of course he's going to bundle over from there. Kutsia makes gain line even when he has to run through players. You give him a gap and it's just not even a question anymore. Yeah, I I was in the stands. I was like, that, they haven't done anything to break us down. Someone's messed up. <laughs> oh no, oh no, oh no. <laughs> I, I could actually see someone physically messing up. I just didn't know who from the stands. Look, Ulster are going to face a much sterner test in Scottsdale. But if they can bring that type of breakdown dominance and that type of quick rook ball and physicality, then they could really, really put it up to this Glasgow team. Yeah, but they will have to improve. Their set piece was ropey. Connacht had such joy on their line-out ball and their discipline was terrible, especially in the second half. I think watching both those teams, neither one looked like beating Glasgow on that performance. Yeah, I mean, for all of Connacht's innovation in the back line, for the good running lines of the likes of Matt Healy, they didn't have any kind of control and you need that coming into this game. They just got out-muscled. But for Connacht's perspective, look at where they finished last year versus getting into Europe on their own merit, qualifying for an away quarter final. It's not a bad year. This was a very good year. This match was bonus territory for us. Like I'd say every Connacht fan would have taken fourth in conference. Third is just incredible. Happy to be there. We could have done so much better. I think when the dust settles on this season, for both these teams, given the challenging times that both clubs had for different reasons last season new coaching setups in both new personnel in both this is a very positive season for both Ulster and Connacht but Ulster's journey not over yet and they go to the first of the Pro 14 semi-finals in two weeks playing Glasgow on Friday night on the 17th of May with Leinster hosting Munster on Saturday the 18th I wonder will it be an all Irish refing team for that one as well 
it, I mean, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Refs had no input on any either of these games, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I, I think the way that refereeing has been in the Pro 14 all year, you kind of want it to be mostly accurate. And there was a lot of funny decisions today, but I think on balance... Everybody kind of got shafted in equal amount. That's completely fair. These are two great semi-finals. Glasgow have timed their run better this year. They're actually on the up. So them confident at home to Ulster is going to be a very interesting game to say the least. Definitely. And Leinster will be coming in off the back of the Heineken Cup final. Who knows what kind of mood they'll be in. For your sake, you're hoping let them have won and be tired, not have lost and want revenge. I mean, let us not wish injury on anybody in a World Cup here. (laughs) (laughs) So we now move to the second row top performer and clown of the round. We have to do a lot of digging these days because there's not a lot of games. So if you want to give us a hand, get in touch on facebook.com forward slash the second row or on Instagram and Twitter where we're at the second row to ND, not the word second. Porik, have you got a top performer for us this week? Yeah, I do. And I don't think there was any standout from the Conft Ulster match. But look at the Munster Benetton match for me. The top performer was Tommaso Allen. Had an incredible game. Really showed international out half quality play. His distribution was impeccable. His chipping and kicking was brilliant. It's just a shame he wasn't on the pitch at minute 77, 78, and 79 when those drop goals were being taken. Well, I think he probably would have controlled it a little bit better as well. He could have got a better position or even just hung on to the ball to win a penalty. Let's also not miss out his place kicking. That conversion attempt from the touchline after Taviaro's try was immaculate. It was banged down the middle. Well, drained. He drained it. There was never any doubt that ball wasn't going over. You contrast him to the Munster 10s as well. In the first half, we had Tyler Blayendahl and JJ in the second. One playing a more tactical game, not wanting to hold on to the ball, clearing it. And then we had to make a substitution to change our game up and play more of a running game. Tommaso Allen did both of those things with far more success throughout this game. Yeah, a real good day at the office. Deserved top performer. Like, it's a mad. Man, the match went to a Benetton player and top performer goes to a Benetton player as well. They were unlucky to lose this one. They really were. You've picked our crown the round. Yeah, I had two contenders for this. So I think an honourable mention to Bundiaki for smashing a guy in the chin. And not even just that, but spending the rest of the game appearing to try and deliberately wind up the crowd. One of my favourite moments is when he got subbed off due to injury, the whole stand I was in booed him off the pitch, so he <laughs> applauded them. Ah, brilliant. <laughs> like, it, it's just a bit, you really, in a game that has a lot of niggle already, like, there was already a bit of niggle between him and Stuart McCloskey as well. Just steady on, because you're, you're eventually going to do something that gets you in trouble. He does play on that line, and I think that's what makes him the great player he is, but at the same time, Maybe pick your battles. (laughs) But he was outdone by another incident from that same game where Quaylen Blade, despite the fact that he had some sort of 15 metre long rock to hide behind, got blocked down by Ian Henderson. And he'd only been on the pitch a couple of minutes, so maybe not quite up to the pace of the game. But like you had half the pitch to kick it away. What are you doing? Yes, this is one of those famous rooks that Joe Marler could have been heard last week um, advising uh, the uh, opposition. On board! <laughs> yes, that's the version we're going to use. <laughs> yeah, that's the PG-13 version. Taking far too long to play the ball. Henderson knew exactly what was happening. These rooks need to stop. Well, I mean, I, I've decided they're now going to be called a human centipack. Yeah. Because that's what it looks like. And 
just stupid positioning, slow ball, and you can't get blocked down when you're literally four players long in a ruck. So clown of the round this week goes to Quillen Blade. Well deserved, I think. So that is our second row top performer, Tommaso Allen for a stellar display, but sadly on the losing team. And our second row clowned around Quaylen Blade for getting blocked down from a different postcode. So quickly a preview of the two games that are on next week. And the big one, Saracens v Leinster in Newcastle on Saturday. This is the best two teams in Europe this year competing in the final. Very much so. One on form in Saracens and versus Leinster, who seem to be finding their feet, but but will they have found it for next week? I mean, Saracens demolished Exeter this weekend in the Premiership, but they to rest, a certain both degree... Both teams rested players. Yeah, and those positions are mostly decided, to be honest. But I think the interesting point is, yeah, Leinster haven't had the best of the last couple of weeks of games. If they come out and play to the type of standard they can, as they did against Toulouse, this could be a really good win for the Irish side. But they're going to have to fight an awful lot harder with an awful lot less space. That Saracens defence can smother teams. Yeah, Leinster still need to up their game from that Toulouse match. They are not at their imperious best or actually anywhere near it. It's an interesting game because of that. I cannot wait to watch it. It's going to hurt from my couch. <laughs> well, you know what? At least we don't have any skin in the game. That, that should make it a little bit easier to keep eyes on the screen. Yeah, and, and really enjoy what should be a good game. Definitely. On Friday night, there's a little bit of light entertainment. La Rochelle play Claremont in the Challenge Cup final. That'll be well attended. It will. There'll be more people there than we're at Munster's quarterfinal. <laughs> Ouch. I mean, I think they'll be lucky to have more people there than we're at most of the Kings home games this year. <laughs> French teams notoriously don't travel. And for a Friday night fixture where they need to get there in the work week, this is going to be a disaster. Yeah, it's one of those times where this neutral ground just won't really work out. No. Again, hard to see past Claremont doing a job on La Rochelle here. They just have buckets of quality and they've set out in the Challenge Cup this year to make a point. Yeah, win every game with bonus points and then some. Yep. So that's us. That is us. Thank you everyone for listening. We will be back next week to recap the European finals and see if Leinster can make it back-to-back titles for the Pro 14 in the Champions Cup. So until next time, goodbye and thanks again for listening. Take care. Take care.